0: Possible that you noticed in the bulletin that the title of today's sermon is Flouting Etiquette. Flouting, in other words, pushing back against, spurning, wanting nothing to do with etiquette. Now, it's not as though I'm trying to push us in the direction of an even less civil society. But it is an important concept. In fact, this week I thought, well, if you're going to flout etiquette, you have to know what etiquette is, right? And so I went online and tried to find some rules of etiquette, took some quizzes on etiquette and realized I know nothing when it comes to etiquette. I'm in real trouble. And so I thought, well, maybe I should share the joy. And so I'm going to do a little quiz this morning, and I need two volunteers. This, by the way, has not been arranged ahead of time, and so by the end of this, I'm going to have... Two less friends than I had at the beginning, but anyway, uh, two two volunteers like say uh, Donovan Krauss there. Donovan, where did I see Donovan over here? There he is, right there. Donovan, come on, come on up, Donovan. Um, <laughs> Donovan's very eager to get up here, and um, Madeline Mace, you you come you come on up. So Donovan, you come stand right over here, and. Uh, Good to see you again. I didn't know you were in town. Uh, I now I have, do. <laughs> I shouldn't have come then. <laughs> Madeline, you come right. You got you, Okay. Now I'm going to ask you all to step out here to the edge because I don't want by looking over my shoulder here as I read these questions. So there, there are seven questions, all right? And we're going to find out how well you know etiquette. Now here's the thing. If you're not sure this side of the congregation is yours, Donovan, you can ask them to raise their hands what they think. Madeline, this side of the congregation is yours. Fair enough? So some of these are multiple choice. Some of them are true or false. So the first is a multiple choice. So you've got to let me get all three of them out. So when is the most gracious time to respond to an invitation? In other words, to send your RSVP. One, within 24 hours. Two, within one week. Three any time before the respond by date. So Donovan, when is the best? So first, 24 hours. Two, one week. Third, respond by date. Will you tell me? You got to put your mic up there. Will you tell me your score first before I answer? <laughs> I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> I'm going to say 24 hours. 24 hours. All right, Madeline. Any time before the before the, the respond deadline? by <laughs> date. Very good. That's absolutely wrong. Donovan, you are right. <laughs> So, Madeline, no pressure, but Donovan's went up on you here. All right, number two. From which direction should you approach your dining table chair in order to sit down? Okay, so you got the picture. It's Sabbath lunch, and you're coming up to the dining table. From which direction do you approach the chair? From the left, from the right, or either direction? Madeline, you're first this time. If you're not sure, we can ask congregation. Or maybe you're sure. I, I'm going to guess left. From the left. All the right. Left. Very good. Donovan? I would guess left as well. Wow. You're both correct. All right. So it's two to one here. Number three. This is true or false. So this one is simple. True or false. You should always pass both the salt and the pepper, even if only one was requested. True or false? Oh. Donovan? False. 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 Madeline? False. False. That's true. Oh. So today, when somebody asks for the salt, send them both. Okay, so we're still two to one. Is that right? Roger, is that right? You're helping me keep track here. All right, number four. If there are two forks on the table, you should start using the fork nearest your plate. This is true or false? If there are two forks on the table, you start by using the one nearest your plate. Madeline? True. True? All right. False. 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 Have mercy. Donovan got that one, Madeline. So what Is it? Is it three to one? Three to one, all right. (laughs) We're on to number five. In a formal place setting, the dessert spoon and fork are usually placed above the plate. This is a formal setting, so the dessert spoon and fork are above the plate. Who went first last time? You did? I think, well, I don't know. Okay, we're going to have you go first. True or false? Formal uh, dessert, formal setting, dessert, spoon, and fork above the plate. I'm going to say false. False. Donovan? I want some congregation response. <laughs> All right. So how many of you would say true? Let me see your hands. Raise your hand. Oh, a wow. lot of them. How many of you would say false? Well, it's pretty clear, Don, what they think. So. Well, I would agree, but I wanted them to become involved, you see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. So you're saying? True. True. All right. True is right. <laughs> Have mercy. Four to one, Roger. Okay. Madeline, we got we to no. get going here. All right. So... This one is also true and false. Since it is not right to waste food, we're on board. Right, Madeline? We all agree with that. It is best to ask the waiter or your host for a doggy bag to take home the leftovers. True or false? Now, you can ask if you want to ask your, your people out here. I have a guess, but I would love to know. OK, so is it is not right to waste food. You can ask your waiter or your host for a doggy bag. How many of you say that's true? Let me see your hands out here. Oh my goodness. How many of you say that's false? Well, that's pretty clear. So? Okay, I do. That was my guess, so false. False. Okay, Donovan? False. False. It is false. Okay. <laughs> that would have been true if it was just your waiter. Mm-hmm. But when, it's, when you're eating over at Donovan's house, you're not supposed to say to Donovan, can I have a doggy bag? I'm going to take the rest of this home. So, so that's what made it false. All right, so we are at 5-2. Thank you, sir. This is the last one. All right, this has four options. Ready? How can a stranger to the community acquire social standing? How can a stranger to the community acquire social standing? One, go wherever their spouse goes. Two, attend fancy parties. Three, go to the hottest restaurants. Four, get an invitation to someone's house. Mm. So you want social standing, go wherever your spouse goes, attend fancy parties, go to the hottest restaurants, or get an invitation to someone's home. Madeline? What do you all think? All right, so which one? How many would say A, go wherever your spouse goes? Well, that's not a popular one. And B, what was B? I got to find out what B was here again. Um, So B was attend fancy parties. Anyone for that? Hottest restaurants, See, Wow. Either they're all asleep or okay. So get an invitation to someone's house. Oh, well, there you go. That's the one they think. So I would agree. You would agree. Donovan? How many agree with this side? <laughs> Look at that. Okay. <laughs> the same all answer. All right, same answer. That is correct. Excellent. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And the final score is five to three, six to three, six to three. Madeline, it you and I—you sc- <laughs> <laughs> and I scored about the same, so he beat both of us. So, but I, they'll oh, yeah. you hand that to them. Thank you so much for coming up. Yeah. Um, yes, thank them. Thank you very much. When I read through the rules of etiquette, I thought, "Have mercy! I don't know many of these," and so it left me a little concerned just about polite society. Uh, My wife will tell you that my favorite place is not the most formal of meals because I always feel like I'm somehow missing something or doing something wrong. But we're talking about flouting etiquette. Now, it's not that I'm asking you to do that. Actually, we'll see in a few moments that Jesus is suggesting that. But he's suggesting it in his world. So in order to understand we have to know a little bit about the etiquette of his world, especially when it came to the table, which is exactly what these questions were about, Donovan and Madeline. all had to do with the table or invitations to it. So I'm going to read you from, from a New Testament scholar named Clinton Arnold just one piece that sets the stage for what were the etiquette realities when it came to meals in the ancient world. So Arnold writes, Meals were important social rituals in the ancient world, and one would normally eat only with those of his or her own social class. One's place at the table was determined by social status, and the places beside the host represented the highest status. This was true both in Greco-Roman and Jewish society. Roman sources describe meals, imagine this, where guests of different social status are seated in different rooms and are even served different food and wine depending on their social rank. Imagine that. Various writers criticize such behavior as elitist. The Roman poet Marshall describes an incident where a host alone eats choice food while his guests look on. Imagine that. Tell me, what madness is this, Marshall writes, while the throng of invited guests looks on you, Cecilianus, alone devour the mushrooms. What prayer shall I make suitable to such a belly and gorge? May you eat such a mushroom as Claudius ate, that is, a poisonous one. In another humus pat pratt, Another humorous passage, Marshall criticizes the different quality of food served to the guest. Since I am asked to dinner, why is not the same dinner served to me as to you? You take oysters fattened in the Lucrine Lake. I suck a mussel through a hole in the shell. You get mushrooms. I take hot funguses. You tackle turbot, but I brill. Golden with fat, a turtle dove gorges you with its bloated rump. There is set before me a magpie that has died in its cage. <laughs> Wonder how he felt. In other words, he's pushing back against the etiquette of the day, saying, I don't like this. This is not how it should be. But that's the way it was. And it's in a setting of a meal, a nice meal, that Jesus is going to suggest pushing back against etiquette, flouting etiquette. So we turn to Luke's gospel, the 14th chapter, which is where the incident is reported. So to to set the stage in two quick ways, number one, remember we're in a series entitled Insiders and Outsiders, Christian Hospitality in a Polarized World. And then secondly, know that the immediate context here is a banquet in the home of a leading Pharisee. We can probably safely assume that it was a nice home, a very nice home, so it would have been a very nice meal. And it's as he's sitting there at this meal, That Jesus gets to noticing both the guests and the host. And he has something to say to each of them. So we'll start with what Jesus has to say to the guests. Luke 14, we start in verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus is watching. I don't know if it was evident, people literally elbowing their way, pushing other people out of the way, trying to get to the best places, or if it was much more subtle, go, 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 you know, trying to get in, trying to get the best place. I don't know what it was, but what is clear, that as Jesus watches, he sees what's going on. In other words, the rules of etiquette about which place you sat in were, friends, basically The etiquette of the jungle. Whoever gets there first, beat the others to it, push them back, get in there. You claim it for your own. It had to do with selfishness. i got to get that place. And Jesus watches that. And then he says, let me tell you something. Let me talk with you about what I have seen here. It's an important statement that he's about to make because he tells them don't choose the highest place the best place choose the lowest place now honestly the ways in which social status are made manifest are probably quite different in his world than in ours though there might be some crossover probably quite different we have our ways of showing social status though right We show it by what we hang on the walls of our offices, what we park in the driveways of our homes, how we show people what time it is. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, we show it in many different ways. They showed it in this way. They're fighting for the best seat next to the host. And Jesus says, don't do that because, do you notice what the reason he gave so he says, you, you've chosen that seat next to the host, and then in front of everybody, the host comes to you and says, listen, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry to do this to you, but a, a friend of mine just came. Yeah, he's the he's the chief of OB up at the hospital. Yeah, he, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, Megan is her name, yeah. So, so he, he's come, I need, I need this seat. Uh, could you go, j- just see that seat right back there? Yeah, by the kitchen, that seat right there no 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 to the left of the trash cans yeah right there right could you go sit back there Uh, Kevin come sit here Wow that would be humiliating in our world but it was more than just humiliating in their world listen one more time to Clinton Arlen as he describes the cultural context of such a reality Arnold writes, honor and shame were pivotal values in the ancient Mediterranean world. A family's honor in the community determined whom they could marry, what functions they could attend, where they could live, and with whom they could do business. The public shame of moving from the first seat to the last in front of one's colleagues would be a humiliation almost worse than death. This wasn't just changing seats. Suddenly, the options for whom you're Son or your daughter was going to marry, shifted. Suddenly, where you could do business opened up or shut down. Suddenly, the people with whom you could relate, what functions you could attend, either appeared or disappeared. This affected your life. No wonder people are fighting. Kind of the survival of the fittest, the law of the jungle, that's our etiquette. We're getting there if it kills us. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to act according to the etiquette of humility. Humility. You never get anywhere in the world doing things with humility. I mean, honestly, friends, we tend to, not always and not in every setting, but we tend to value humility in our world at least much more so than would have happened in the ancient world. It was not viewed as a virtue, something to be desired. It was viewed as weakness. Weakness. And yet Jesus is saying, this is the basis on which I want you to make these choices. Can you imagine if I stood up here, one of the pastors stood up here and said, okay, we have a new ethic. We want you to make your choices based on weakness. Just be weak. Just choose whatever you choose because you're weak. You would say, "What? that's crazy. And yet Jesus in that world says, make the humble choice. But the way he states the exchange of chairs underlines just how deceitful the human ego can be. If you haven't done the work of humility before God in your heart before you take this action, the the ego will trick you. The late Fred Craddock put it this way. He said, once this has set in, once people figured out what Jesus was saying, then there was a rush for the lowest seat. Everybody elbowing each other out of the way to get in the lowest seat with their ears cocked to hear their name being called up to the higher seat. That would be even a greater honor. So if you haven't dealt with ego, doesn't matter whether you go here or there, it's still going to be a problem. What Jesus ultimately calls us to is humility. Choosing the lower place. I wonder how that would affect us in our relationships with others whether it be around the table, around the office, around the neighborhood, around the gym. The ethic, the etiquette of humility as Jesus pushes back against this ethic, against this etiquette that demands me first. So that's what he says to the guests. But now he has something to say to the host. And what he says to the host drives us straight into the target area of Christian hospitality. So back to Luke, the 14th chapter, this time starting in verse 12. Luke writes, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus is saying something that may be a bit hard to take in right here. Eugene Peterson helps us with it in his paraphrase of the message, capturing what I think is the essence of what Jesus is saying in the first part. He says, Jesus says, do not merely invite your family, your friends, your neighbors, etc. Not merely. It's not that Jesus is necessarily against family dinners, but that's entertaining. What Jesus is wanting to talk about here is hospitality. Do not merely invite them, or they may repay you. He's addressing this, this social quid pro quo. You do for me, I'll do for you. You str- scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, uh, the Smiths had us over recently. We've got to have them over. And it's this social exchange that happens mostly when you're on an equal par, an equal level. You're all part of the in-group. That's fine as far as entertaining goes. But Jesus is driving us toward hospitality. And so he says, rather than focusing there, And then he says in verse 13, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. If, if, if all Jesus is saying is look for those who have been pushed to the fringes, who have been denied, marginalized those who have been beaten down by the circumstances they have faced into the quagmire of life and draw them in if that's all he's saying that would be enough because it would move us out of our comfort zones it would push us out of our enclaves it would drive us to draw the boundary much more widely of those who were outsiders but now experience the treatment of insiders if that's all he's saying that would be enough it would be enough we know because over in Matthew 25 just after he has said Talked about all the signs of his coming and his return in glory, and then he says, Watch, watch, watch. And we're freaking out saying, Okay, what do you mean by watch? He gives us four parables to define what he means by watch. The last one, the crowning pinnacle, is the parable called The Sheep and the Goats, in which the king says, The reason I'm welcoming you here or the reason I'm not welcoming you here is based on how you treated me. And both groups say, what are you talking about? We've never even seen you. And he says, oh, yes, you did. When you did this to the least of these or didn't do it to the least of these, you did it or didn't do it for me. So we know Jesus has that in his mind. So if that's all he's saying here in this passage, that in itself would be enough. But he's saying more than that. In fact, scholar after commentary underlines what he is much more pointed about in this context. And it grew out of the theological understandings and assumptions of the day. Grew, it out, grew out of it in this sense. There was the belief that if you committed some grave sin, some grievous sin, that that sin would likely be punished in the here and now. Or the way they often thought of it was when they saw somebody who suffered here, very poverty-stricken, blind, lame, the people he just named, when they see that, they would see not a person suffering. They would see somebody who had committed a great sin. Therefore, the assumption was not a fellow human being who is suffering, but a person who has sinned so that God has reached out and touched them. In fact, leprosy was known to be called the finger of God because they understood this to be God's punishment. Hey, I can't do anything about that. You did something to upset the man upstairs. That's between you and him, but I don't want anything to do with it. So that the ones Jesus here names are the ones who would likely have been assumed to have lived that kind of life and who therefore now the church had no desire to enter into the religion of the day. Nothing nothing here for you. That's between you and God. And push them out. In fact, listen. Craig Evans, New Testament scholar, writes, The advice he gave would have sounded quite strange to the ears of Jesus' contemporaries. To their way of thinking, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind are those from whom God has withheld his blessing. In all likelihood, it was thought that their afflictions were the result of sin. These people, along with the Gentiles, would be the last people to enter the kingdom of God. Why should anyone invite them to a feast? To eat with such people could result in religious defilement. Don't forget that sentence. To eat with such people could result in religious defilement. I, you know, my mother said, birds of a feather flock together. If you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. I don't want to be with that kind of people. It could result in religious defilement. Therefore, the pious Israelite would quite naturally desire table fellowship with others of similar piety. Jesus, however, does not share this narrow self-righteous view. His proclamation of the good news declares that even the lowly and outcast may be included in the kingdom of God. Nowhere is this idea seen more vividly than in this passage. These are people the religion of the day wanted no part of, pushed out. These are the people that Jesus says, invite them to your table no wonder Fred Craddock once said tell me who sits at your table and I'll tell you who you are invite them to the table it's clear that he's not driving at entertaining as good as that may be in all kinds of contexts But that invites friends and family and the good and the lovely and the people we connect easily with and those that aren't going to challenge us. That's entertaining. That's wonderful as far as it goes. Jesus is talking about Christian hospitality. Christian hospitality is extending the invitation to the unworthy. It's including the less than favorable. It's drawing in those who have been shut out. Christian hospitality. That challenges me on a deep level. So here, I don't know, a week or two ago, <clears throat> Michael Brownfield, member of our community here, sent me, thank you, Michael, sent me a story. In a book he was reading by Kyle Eidelman. I've read Eidelman before, but I had not read this book. Michael said I could share this with you. I want to read you in Eidelman's own words The story, he writes, I once met a man named Adam. I want to tell you about Adam, but before I do, I want to ask you to consider Titus 2, 11 to 14. Titus 2, Paul's letter to Titus. It can be a rather hard-hitting hard letter, including even this passage. Listen to Titus 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's wonderful. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So Paul says, God's grace is appears that has saved all of us, but then he goes on to talk about growth and transformation and change. Back to Eidelman's words. We're told it's the grace of God that offers salvation. You probably already knew that. But did you also notice, Eidelman asks, that it's God's grace, not fear of God's wrath, that teaches people to say no to ungodliness and leads them to want to live good lives for Jesus? Did you know that? It seems grace is the key to everything. So, Adam, he told me he had been incarcerated and that he was illiterate when he went to prison. But another inmate who was a follower of Jesus realized Adam was illiterate. He told Adam he would teach him to read and write by using the Gospel of Mark. By the time he was released, Adam had not only learned to read about Jesus, but had become a follower of Jesus. When he got out, he began attending a small church in a small town. I didn't know what what crime put Adam in prison, but somehow the people in the church found out. Some were upset that he was now at their church. One long-time prominent family told the pastor, hey, look, you either ask Adam to leave or we're leaving. The pastor explained that Adam was welcome at their church. The family left. It began to look like other families were going to follow. Adam told me he started thinking it might be best for him to leave. He didn't want to create division or make a bigger mess for the pastor to have to clean up. Then one week after the sermon, the pastor stood before the congregation and asked Adam to come up front. Adam knew what was about to happen. The pastor must have found out about his crimes. He was going to tell everyone and ask Adam to leave. Adam made his way to the front with his head down, ashamed of what he had done and embarrassed for what was about to happen. When he was standing with the pastor, the pastor announced... I want everyone to know that I've made an important decision. Since Adam has been released from prison, he's had a hard time finding work, so I want to offer him a job helping take care of our church facilities. The pastor reached into his pocket and pulled out an extra set of keys to the church. He gave them to Adam and said, You're going to be needing these to open and close the church each week. Tears ran down Adam's cheeks as he told me the story. He paused, collecting himself, then said it was the first time in my life I'd had a key to anything. For the first time, he felt truly loved and accepted. Oh, I should have mentioned where I met Adam. I was speaking not at a prison, but at a pastor's conference. But why did I meet Adam there? Because he's been a pastor at that church for the past six years. That's what happens when people, one at a time, experience the love and grace of Jesus through his followers. Or, I might add, when they experience Christian hospitality through his followers. Entertaining is wonderful as far as it goes. But in this scene, Jesus is not talking about entertaining. He's talking about hospitality. He's talking about making outsiders feel like insiders. He's talking about drawing to our tables, to our relationships, to our embrace, people that have typically been pushed out, ignored, and shunned. He's saying invite those. Invite them to the table. My wife and I love having our kids over, kids and their spouses You know who else we love to have over? The other ones we love to have over are the kids that our kids love. We love that. Just struck me. We, and not just Anita and me, but we love to have Jesus over. Love to have him in our homes. You know what Jesus likes? He likes to bring with him the people he loves. Not people who are projects, not people we're trying to ourselves change, because remember, if they need to be judged, God will handle it. If they need to be saved, Jesus has got it. If they need conviction, the Holy Spirit will take care of it. He's just saying to us invite them. I'm there with you. Invite them. And then just turn me loose in their lives. <laughs> You have no idea what can then happen. So I wonder, who's the person in my life? Who's the person in your life this week that needs to be invited to the table? Jesus tells us, flout etiquette and instead in humility draw in those who could never otherwise be there gracious God we thank you we're actually in awe when we truly pause to consider the fact that incredibly we're at the table Lord let it never stop there push us outward to open to others the door to the supper table of God in Jesus name Amen